Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello. So good to see you've returned once again to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I'm your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and we're going to take a little something out of our front display case. This is an item of prominence because this goes back in antiquity. This is a, a knife. It may look like a, a normal ancient knife, uh, probably from the Bronze Era. But if you look very closely at it, to even under a microscope, you might find that the molecular structure has been changed. And that if you could dare to dream this maybe once upon a time wasn't even a bronze knife at all but a knife of stone how how could this be well it can be if you suspend your disbelief and enter into the world of marvel's latest movie so let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the eternals i'm sure you're like me and i was really excited about the Eternals, but the thing of it was that uh, I didn't know much about the Eternals. It was one of those things where, you know, I grew up a fan of comics. I read comics, but, you know, I wasn't one of those kids that could just run to the comic book store. You know, I lived out in the country, and the, the comic books that I got were like anything my dad and mom came back from the auction. And usually they were older comics and they would get me a box, a lot full of them. And I would just pour over these comics. And, and of course, at the time I was really into Spider-Man. So uh, the bulk of the comics I read as a kid growing up were Spider-Man, even though, you know, I, I would have been interested in more. But, uh, you know, just my inability to have access to, uh, to a wide variety of comics. So I didn't know much about the Eternals. I knew who they were. And of course, as I, I grew up and of course, uh, I became a bit of a collector in the 90s when everybody was collecting and every comic book had a big deal cover where they did multiple covers or covers you could put together for a bigger picture or the hologram covers, uh, creating collectibles that uh, just to, to make a buck and then find out that they weren't collectible at all because everybody had one. But uh, but I, I got sucked into that uh collectability craze of the 90s whether it was comic books or hockey i was into hockey cards and baseball cards stuff like that uh but so i, I knew who the eternals were in the vaguest of senses I, I knew a little bit about some of the characters i knew about the eternals and the celestials and the deviants i heard those names bandied about over the years but I have to admit that when I heard Marvel was doing an Eternals movie, I was excited because, you know, I, I love superhero stuff. I love superhero movies. But I had to admit, I, I didn't know much about them. And I did a little digging, kind of reading into what the, the Eternals were all about. Just, uh, just the vaguest of research into the Eternals because I, I really didn't. I wanted to go in with this, to this, with a... A clean slate, a fresh, open view of what this was going to be. And even after the movie came out, I didn't read any of the reviews. Uh, no, I couldn't help but on social media catch some of the headlines and caught a lot of negative uh, headlines talking about the movie. But I didn't read any of the reviews because I just wanted to go into this pure and innocent uh, as the driven snow. 
and and enjoy this, uh, or at least try to enjoy it for what it is, and not have my my opinion tainted by any negativity, uh, which I think was a smart thing on my part to do. If I'm gonna pat myself on the back, because I think you know after seeing the Eternals and then going back and reading some of the critiques, uh, I'm glad I didn't have that floating around in my mind when I watched this because I was able to enjoy it just for what it was. Now, of course, since the movies come out, I've read a little more of the Eternals, the characters, the Deviants, the Celestials, and all that sort of thing. And I have a better, broader, basic knowledge of these these characters and these ideas uh, behind the Eternals and the Celestials and, and all of that, uh, which uh, you know helps me understand the movie a little more. But, you know, the things that they changed from the comics to the movie uh, didn't bother me as much because I didn't really have any preconceived notions of what the Eternals were going to be about. So I, I really just got to enjoy the movie for what it was. Now, I'm going to try and make this as minimally spoilery as possible. I can't say that there are going to be some spoilers because there are going to be some things, especially toward the end. I'm going to talk. There's two. Uh, there's a mid credit scene and a post credit scene that I'm going to talk about, and there's nothing terribly spoilery about them. Uh, it's more just set up for future Eternals, uh, future Marvel movies. So if you don't want that spoiled, I'm going to save that towards the end, and I'll, I'll warn you when I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to try to basically treat this as a... Uh, I'm going to talk about the characters, talk about some of the themes. I mean, this is a superhero movie, so there aren't, aren't any great deep diving themes into the, the meaning of life or anything like that, but there are some themes. They touch on some things throughout this. So we're going to talk about the characters. We're going to talk you know, basic plots and some of the differences, uh, the surface differences between the comics and the movie. And like I said, I'm going to try to keep this as non-spoiler as possible, but do be careful uh, because I have no control over uh, what comes from my brain to my mouth. There's very rarely a filter and there's very rarely a checkpoint. So if I do just blurt something out uh, and, and spoil something, it's not, uh, I don't mean to, but at any rate, we are going to progress. But the Eternals, uh, just to, and and the, if you don't know anything about the Eternals, uh, don't let that keep you from watching this movie because they really set up. Uh, they don't do like the Star Wars crawl at the beginning of the movie, but they do put up some some history about the Celestials and what they are, and the Eternals and what they are, and why they're doing what they're doing. Essentially, uh, the story goes that the Celestials are these gigantic cosmic beings that create uh, suns and create worlds and create the universe, uh, that sort of thing, and they create these Eternals as guardians of intelligent life because there are these things called the deviants that they feed off intelligent life and they celestial send the eternals to to protect that life to let life flourish and grow at least that's how things are set up now one of the things i found very interesting before we get into the characters and a little more of the the basic plot is that in the movie the deviants are these hideous creatures, very sinewy and bone and, and like connective tissue, but not real 
solid form and solid mass. They're very, I, I really dug the creature design behind that. It wasn't groundbreaking or earth shattering, but I thought it was very cool and I thought it was very different. And while some of the creatures were different, they had a similar feel like they came from the same place, which I, I, I like that sort of continuity when it comes to creatures from from somewhere, wherever these things come from. And they all have come from the same place, so they may be different in form or fashion, but they all kind of have a similarity to them. Kind of like what uh, Greg Nicotero did in The Mist, Frank Darabont's The Mist, where all the creatures, they were different. There were spiders, and there were flying things, and there were bugs, and there were giant things, but they all kind of had a similar feel to them, which made them feel made them feel real, made them feel like they came from some tangible place that is real, that has a an ecosystem, and life evolved in a certain way, and these things branched off. And, and so I, I really liked the, the idea behind this design and well like i said it, you know it wasn't groundbreaking per se but it was different enough that made it interesting and, and i really enjoyed that but in the comics the deviants are actually humanoids uh they aren't monsters like they are in the movie i don't know enough about them to know that they probably play a similar role and they are kind of like the sworn enemies of the eternals you know that it would have been a long long movie i mean it was already long what's like two hours and 25 minutes but if they were to go in and create these humanoid characters with personalities and we'd have to learn all of them i it would just drag the movie out even longer than it always already was kind of drug out and and we'll get into my thoughts on that later as well but uh, i i like that they they treated the deviants as these creatures that the the Eternals are battling. Now that kind of comes into a very problematic area for me. Uh, I know the younger generation, the millennials and the Gen Zs, uh, use problematic to uh, talk about things that they find offensive. Uh, this didn't find. I didn't. I don't mean it in that regard. But as far as the plot goes, it, it there were some things that didn't make sense that had to do with the deviants. Like I said, we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, the Eternals are sent to Earth to help civilization prosper, to help us, you know, advance in technology and protect us from the deviants. And we get uh, a lot at the beginning when they first arrive at Earth, and then we get a few flashbacks of of them in different stages of human evolution. Uh, we get them back in Mesopotamia when, you know, the cradle of civil civilization. We see them in Babylon and the very cool imagery of, of Babylon and the hanging gardens of Babylon. Uh, just some beautiful, uh, beautiful work on, on that. And uh, some of the some of the coolest fight scenes, you know, when like the Avengers came out and I consider the Eternals kind of like cosmic Avengers. Everybody's got their own special power. They're like the Avengers, but uh, they're from outer space. And there's actually a cut scene where uh, James Madden, who plays Icarus, says Eternals assemble. Uh, I, I don't know if that was in the that may have been in one of the trailers. Uh, didn't make the movie. Which, which I'm, I'm glad because some of the, some of the things in the trailer were played for the laughs, and, and granted there are a ton of laughs in this, but I didn't want it 
to be hokey laughs like that, even though it is, I have to admit, quite funny. The Eternals assemble, kind of riffing off the Avengers. But one of the coolest uh, scenes was, I, I think it was outside the walls of Babylon, where the Eternals are fighting one of these deviants or a couple of these deviants and they're all flying around and they're all using their powers and and they're all you know working together as a team and like with the avengers we didn't get that right of way you know we had they had to build the team then they had to learn to coexist and then they had to learn to fight together and it just took a while to the end of the movie essentially before we see them working as the avengers whereas this you got that right off the bat which was kind of cool because there's nothing more comic booky than to to have these scenes with this big monster and you've got one guy flying over here shooting a laser beam and you got the other guy over here running fast and and you know all of them working together using their powers i mean it just it felt like the cover of a comic book and that was to me one of the coolest scenes and one of the scenes that i thought okay this movie has got off on the right foot with me but they they do babylon they kind of end some of the flashbacks with the 1500s in in Mexico. I can't remember if it's the Aztecs that the uh, conquistadors are attacking and, and essentially wiping out. We see the Eternals there. And that's, I think, the last scene from the past that we really get. Because essentially the job of the Eternals is to protect the humans from the Deviants. They're not to interfere with anything. They're not to interfere with the uh, wars of man. And they're not to interfere too greatly. No, don't advance them too much. Because there's one character, Fastos, who is kind of the mechanical guy. He's the inventor and creates these wonderful things. And there's a scene where he's creating a steam engine. But, you know, uh, they don't even have the plow yet. In, in human history. So, you know, everybody tells him, you know, you can't give this to him just yet. And that's when he comes up with the plow and, and then crops become more widespread. You can build bigger fields with the plow and, and, and that sort of thing. So uh, it's, it's kind of an interesting idea of, you know, having this power to advance civilization, but having to do it incrementally, because if you advance things too fast, who knows where things are going to, you know, fly off the rails. But they're not allowed to interfere with with humans on a planetary scale, like with wars and whatnot. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't at times, but but they try not to. And their their whole goal is to wipe out the deviants so man can can go on. So 1521 is the last time we see a flashback with the or that's the last time period we get a flashback from. And everything else is pretty much set in present day. And pretty much the bulk of the story is that somehow uh, they thought they'd killed off all the deviants. Somehow the deviants have come back. And one of the deviants uh, is evolving somehow. And they find out that... And this this may be a little spoilery. But you find out very fast. So it's, it's not a, a great spoil. But somehow they're siphoning off powers from the Eternals. And then it kind of opens up wider into the bigger problem for the Eternals. Not only do they have the Deviants to deal with, but they also have an issue with the Celestials. And with the birth of new Celestials, how that happens. And the Celestial 
that they're dealing with is Arisham, who sent them to Earth on this big starship, the Domo. What Arisham's true intentions are. And where did the Eternals really come from? Where did the Deviants really come from? These are some of the, the themes that play out later. And like I said, I, I don't want to give too much away because I really want people to check this out. Uh, we'll talk about some of, when I talk about the different characters, we'll talk about some of the aspects of the story. Like I said, try not to be too spoilery. But this really was an all-star cast uh, from top to bottom. Really some 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 big names. And some, while they may not be big names, they're very good actors and actresses in their own right. And of course, one of the one of the stars of the show was Gemma Chan, who played Circe. I wasn't really familiar with her body of work until I kind of started looking into it. And she's had some. Uh, she had a role in Transformers last night. She played the voice of uh, Quintessa. She played Min Irva and Captain Marvel. So she's got some experience with, of course, uh, Marvel and, of course, with action sci-fi stuff. So, uh, I, you know, I thought she did a fantastic job as Cersei. And Cersei's uh, the one character that kind of a reluctant leader. Uh, she gets a leadership role thrust upon her, but she's not really sure that she is the right person for the job that can make the make the decisions necessary and we meet her. Uh, she has a relationship with Kit Harrington's character, Dane Whitman. She's based in London with Sprite. She has the ability to manipulate and transform matter through physical contact. <laughs> she There's this one scene where she's talking about she can turn uh, rock into water. She can turn rock into wood. And she keeps just talking about rocks. She can do more than just do stuff to rocks. But it was just very... Uh, the, the scene was played for a little humor in that she was boring people to death with all the things she could turn rocks into. But, uh, but the character is really interesting uh, because there's a lot of... Uh, down with the patriarchy feel to her character not outright her you know trying to stick it to the man but there are scenes where everyone looks to the richard madden icarus character for leadership and she has been the one chosen to become a leader and she doesn't fight for that she knows she was chosen, but she still kind of, she doesn't stand up for herself. She doesn't fight for herself and say, hey, listen, this is what we have to do. And the Richard Madden character, uh, Icarus, kind of feels like he should be the leader. And while he doesn't actively take the leadership role from her because he does love her, they do have a relationship. There is very much a story there uh, between the two of them where the woman is is being too subservient to the man. And and I wish I, they would have played that a little more. Uh, they did to a degree, but having Cersei, the Gemma Chiang character, finally stand up for herself was a, a big moment and not take it from from the Icarus character. And, and maybe, maybe I'm glad they didn't play it too down with the patriarchy because, you know, there's nothing I hate more than trying to enjoy a superhero movie and having moralities preached to me. That doesn't mean that I don't like a good moral lesson uh, in the subtext or underneath the surface, but I don't want it to be... Uh, thrown in my face so much that it takes me out of the movie. I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I get it. This is bad and this is good. And I just want to watch uh, superheroes beat the bejesus out of a monster. 
So uh, maybe maybe they didn't need to play it more. I, I just wish it wasn't so subtle in this uh, because uh, th- there were points where it was like, you know, she needs to stand up for herself and she, she wasn't. I, I don't think the end was a good enough payoff for that. But that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy the movie. Taking a look at Richard Madden as Icarus. Of course, Richard Madden, everybody knows, Rob Stark, the King in the North from Game of Thrones fame. Of course, he's done uh, several other things since then, but that's where we all know and love uh, Richard Madden from. Plays Icarus, uh, one of the most powerful of the Eternals. He can fly. He shoots lasers from his eyes. You know, listening to some of the producers and the writers talk about this, they really wanted him to kind of have that Superman, Man of Steel feel to him. And and they really did a good job because I'm watching this and, and just the way he would kind of float down, really reminding me of Henry Cavill as Superman and Man of Steel and just, uh, just his demeanor and his posture very much felt like a Superman type character. And, of course, he, he does a great job of playing this. He's a natural-born leader, pretty much what it boils down to. And because he's the strongest, he's willing to take charge when nobody else will. He's, you know, always first in the battle. He's uh, a very strong character. And as you find out in this movie, he's a very loyal character. But where do his loyalties lie? And he's is he loyal to a fault? It, it made for probably one of the more interesting stories in this is that who we find out he is at the heart of Icarus and what he's willing to do to fulfill his purpose. And and I love the fact that, you know, his name is Icarus, much like the and and I even mentioned this in the movie, the boy who flew too close to the sun. And they talk about how Sprite made that story up. And it was such a really cool idea because comic books are kind of like the mythology of America. I mean, I know we've got like the Old West that kind of is our mythology, but those are a lot of tall tales about real people. Uh, Whereas this, you know, comic books really feel like the myths of the modern times. You got so many myths with the gods from Greek and Roman culture. You've got the Arthurian myths from France and and Great Britain. Uh, Tolkien wrote... Lord of the Rings as kind of a a myth for Great Britain. The United States doesn't really have myth. I mean, we've got some uh, Native American mythology. They really delved into that in in Antlers with the Wendigo. We've got uh, the mythological characters uh, and the larger-than-life characters of the Old West. But really, it wasn't until comic books came to life and really created this mythos of these these super powered beings that flew around and shot lasers from their eyes that uh, that we really got a mythology here in the United States. I love the idea that these characters uh, they play it as if they are the basis for the myths that other regions of the world have adopted. You know, you've got Icarus, uh, very much a part of Greek mythology based off this comic book character. Circe as well. Thena, uh, played by Angelina Jolie, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, It's just, uh, I thought that was kind of just an interesting way of weaving these characters into 
the real mythology of of our planet and and them being mythological characters themselves as comic book characters i thought was kind of an interesting uh juxtaposition but we also have uh, another character kingo which is played by Camille nanjiani and he stole every scene that he was in. Now, Kamel Nanjiani is a, a funny guy. He's funny in everything he does. He can do humor. He he can do, you know, some uh, some straight up dramatic acting as well. I'm not a big fan of the Jordan Peele reboot of the Twilight Zone series, but the episode that Kamel Nanjiani was in, I thought he did a fantastic job. And probably one of my favorite episodes of that first season but in this he just was every scene like i said stolen but he plays kingo who a little bit different from the comic book version of this character in the comic book version of this character i believe kingo is a a samurai and a sword master where in this he he brings a new meaning to the term finger guns because he he essentially does that. Uh, shoots these energy projectiles from his hands and he has his hands like he's doing finger guns. And, and honestly, I don't know if that was supposed to be done in jest or if it was like a, you know, supposed to be humorous, but it, it worked and made this character. Uh, they didn't really play it up like that. I think it made sense when they made some decisions as to how the story should go later but he had to be probably one of the more powerful eternals uh his power was just uh, to me it felt like it rivaled icarus so you know really uh interesting character he wants the eternals go their separate ways after they kill all the deviants in 1521 he goes to india and becomes this big actor and director and producer of these bollywood films and he does these films based on the events of what he and the eternals have done and and it's funny when we meet him he is doing this version of the eternals and he is playing the icarus character uh, he very much looks up to icarus kingo does in this movie uh, so much so that he calls him boss you know he he really does think he should be the leader and, and follows him like a leader but there again like i said Camilo Nanjiani just stole every scene he was in because his comedic timing is just knows no bounds even just the slightest little comment or uh, turn a phrase or offhand word that he says and his facial expressions he just knows how to give a, a tiny little one-liner and like i said just steal a scene he was one of the things i just enjoyed most uh because and, and not even just because of the humor of it because it was fun he did make the movie funny and he did make it fun but even the moments when he wasn't being funny i thought he did a really good job i think he's a fine actor and it, it makes me want to see more of the stuff he's done that is maybe more straight up drama or, or action or whatever. I, I think he I think he should do more stuff like that because he's a funny guy. But I, I think he's a really good actor too. Leah McHugh plays Sprite. Uh, she is an eternal. In the comic books, Sprite is a boy. They kind of played it like that. Uh, Sprite here is a, is a girl. Uh, she looks young. She is... 
almost like a child, like a 12 year old child is I think the way they describe it. Uh, now she definitely is a lot older than a child. And I think she resents the celestials because they put her essentially in a child's body. And she has a, a power that uh, I don't know quite how to describe it. It's more illusionary. Uh, she can create uh, illusions of herself, other people, in the beginning, when we first meet her, she creates an illusion of herself as an adult flirting with a guy. But I, I thought the character was really interesting. Uh, and I'm really interested to see where they take the character, if and when they do uh, sequels to this. And uh, Leah McHugh, uh, I got to I gotta give a shout out to her because she's a Pittsburgh girl. She's uh, from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And, you know, you're from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania your good stock in my book <laughs> but uh, but she's done she hasn't done a ton because you know she's uh, like 15 16 year old something like that uh, but she has done some genre stuff some horror stuff so I'm excited to see more out of her because I thought you know for her age she played like an old soul and she did a an excellent job with this character that was a very complex character uh, I like how Camille Nanjiani's character, Kingo, described her as Tinkerbell because Tinkerbell is always after Peter Pan and she can never have him. And they kind of he kind of describes Icarus as Peter Pan because she has this big crush on him, but because she looks like a little kid, he's never going to be interested in her. And just a, a very complex character, a very interesting character. And I thought the, you know, Lee McHugh did a great job portraying her. And I think they really set this character up for some interesting things in the future. One of the other characters that I thought uh, was an interesting character, and I thought played very well was uh, Fastos. He's the guy, the technology guy, the inventor, and he's played by Brian Tyree Henry. Now, a lot of people made a big deal because apparently he's the first superhero depicted as gay in the MCU in a film. And there's a kiss scene between him and his husband because after they go their separate ways in 1521, uh, he's done with humanity. He's done with the Eternals. Uh, he just wants to go off, you know, done protecting humanity. He just wants to go off and do his thing because he's seen what humanity has done with the technology he helped them develop. You know, creating the the A bomb. Uh, they show a scene with him at Hiroshima, and or was it Nagasaki? One of the two uh, in World War Two. Uh, one of the nuclear explosions that ended the war. But he's he's reeling and and grief stricken and guilt ridden uh, because he helped humanity advanced technologically to the point where they created this and did such destruction with this and he wants nothing to do so he goes off when we meet up with him in present day you know he's uh, at his home with his husband and their little boy and Circe and Icarus you know kind of apprise him of the situation of what's going on with uh, Arisham in particular and he doesn't want to leave his family but his husband uh, explained to him you know you've got to go save the world so our son can have a future and and as they're leaving uh, they kiss goodbye. And and I know some people were making a big deal over this. To me, I, I don't care about the sexuality of my superheroes. Uh, that's not something I look for. But it also doesn't, you know, it doesn't bother me that they had 
Fastos as a gay character. It didn't bother me that they kissed goodbye. You know, it was a spouse saying goodbye to another spouse and they might not see him again and they're going off to save the world. And if they don't succeed, the world's going to end. And why wouldn't you kiss your loved one goodbye? Uh, so that and, and it's not like it's the first time that we've ever seen two guys kiss on screen or two women kiss on screen. I mean, come on, let's let's all be adults here. So uh, that to me, that didn't bother me. I didn't give it a second thought, but I know that was one of the things that the headlines I've read uh, before I watched this movie. Everyone's uh, not everyone, but there are some people uh, make it a big stink over the fact. Uh, the the one thing that I did think was out of place and I didn't think needed to be in the movie. They did a lot of flashbacking to Icarus and Circe's relationship. They were a couple for thousands of years. Uh, they got married, you know, I guess you could say married. And they, they had a sex scene, which I don't think we've had any sex scenes in Marvel's movies. And I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in the movie theater and listen, I'm no prude. Uh, I didn't have any problem with it. It wasn't a gratuitous sex scene, although there was a little more bumping and grinding than I thought should have been because there were a lot of kids in the audience. You know, this is a Marvel movie. This is superheroes. Uh, there were a lot of young kids in there that I, I just didn't think that was appropriate for them. Uh, that was the thing that I had... Not like I said, not a big issue with because they didn't linger on it. It was very short, uh, very brief, but it was a little more, there was a little more action than I thought uh, was necessary, like I said, for kids being in the audience. So that's that's the problem I had. Any smooching going on in the movie, that was the one I had the problem with. But like I said, Brian Tyree Henry as Fastos did an excellent job because he brought he brought some weight to the character. He brought some gravitas to this character. And and as an actor, I wasn't really very familiar with his with his work. I mean, I know he played uh, a part in the the new Child's Play movie, the the 2019 Child's Play movie, the one I didn't want to see because Chucky looked weird, and I didn't like the idea of them rebooting the series to begin with. Uh, he was in Godzilla vs. Kong, which I saw him in that, but I, honestly, I didn't put two and two together. I didn't recognize him. But really, he he did a, a really good job with this character because he went from the beginning being this very sciencey, technological guy, creating things, inventing things. And then when the switch was flipped, and he had enough of humanity and enough, you know, and he went into the real world and and had a relationship with somebody, had a kid with somebody, uh, became a parent, was living life. Uh, you saw that passion come in to this character and he played that as well. He played the cold science and the hot passion of humanity and wanting to to save humanity. And I, I just I thought he played all those cards just so well as an actor to be able to to turn the switch like that and and go in different routes. I mean, a lot of actors can play, uh, you know, one emotion essentially, but he just, uh, you know, maybe I'm too wowed by simple things that uh, any actor should be able to do, but I just thought he did a great job. For, for not really knowing his body of work, I, I was very impressed, and he's He's the kind of actor that I want to see uh, more things from him. And I'm excited to see more things from him. So looking forward to more from um, Brian Tyree Henry. Another 
character that I'm a little more familiar with, Makari. She's the speedster of the group. She's kind of like the, uh, the version of the Flash or Quicksilver. Uh, she she can run around real fast. Now, in the comics, I believe Makari is a guy. So they did a little, like much like Sprite, they did a little gender swapping, which, you know, that's... If it doesn't matter or if it makes sense, I'm fine with it. I hate gender swapping and race swapping just to do it, just because you're trying to tick some boxes. Uh, it, it feels like pandering when they do that. But this, I, I didn't think it mattered whether Makari was a guy or a girl. So I didn't have any problems with them uh, gender swapping. And I really liked who they got to play Makari. Lauren Ridloff. Uh, she plays Connie in The Walking Dead, and she is a deaf actress. And she does a fantastic job in The Walking Dead. So I knew that she was gonna, she was gonna nail it. She was gonna be a rock star in this because one of the one of the things about her, and uh, I can't remember her name right offhand, but the the young girl that plays the daughter in A Quiet Place, uh, she's also a deaf actress. Is they. They know, well, I mean, you can have a person who can hear playing a deaf person, but to to be deaf and to know exactly how to react in every situation as a deaf person would, I mean, you can't fake that. That's not something you can learn in acting school. And and because they don't have their voice to to act, they have to act a lot with facial expressions and body language and and Lauren Ridloff is a, a master at that uh, like I said watching her in The Walking Dead I, I really enjoyed I, I was kind of upset when they kind of took her out of the show for a little bit and then I was so glad that when they finally brought her back here before the end of this uh uh, mid-season break for the final season so uh, really loved her character uh, I, I don't think the character got enough play because you know it's this is an action piece and she got a lot of action and probably had one of the coolest fight scenes uh, in the movie but as far as the character kind of disappears for a while and then once all of the Eternals kind of congregate back at their ship we find that she's been there uh, just hanging out waiting to go home which uh, that you know it, it sucked that they they took her out of a big chunk of the movie but uh, but Lauren Ridloff did a fantastic job and the uh, Makari character like I said had one of the coolest fight scenes uh, towards the end of the movie where you really got to see a great display of how somebody you know that's one of the things growing up I always like the flash and quicksilver oh they just run fast how are they gonna but she uh or they I should say through through her uh, showed a, a very interesting way how speed can be such a great advantage in a fight and they had this very long fight scene with her and i'm not going to say who just because i don't want to give too much away but the way they used her speed to fight this very powerful person was just fantastic it, and it really was a, an engaging fight and a fight that went back and forth but a fight that is not like one i've seen in a superhero movie, uh, I, I don't think. Not that I can. Not that I, I could be wrong. You're probably sitting there saying to yourself, "You dummy! I know exactly 
which movie and which characters did a scene just like that because I've watched a billion movies. Well, I haven't watched a billion movies, but I've seen my fair share, and I can't think of one that used a speedster in a fight scene like this with this much weight to it and with this much violence to it. Uh, not that it was bloody violent, but it was a it was a very physical scene and a very physical fight, and they just really did a great job with the special effects and with the fight choreography, so to speak, with this. And like I said, Lauren Ridloff uh, did a, an awesome job as Makari. I swear we're coming to the end. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of, there's like 10 Eternals in this, not to mention all the side characters uh, like Kit Harrington's Dane Whitman, which won't really get into him. We'll talk about him a little bit later. Harish Patel played uh, Karun Kingo's uh, Human Valley. <laughs> he, he had a lot of really funny scenes and he he almost stole some scenes from Kamel Nanjiani. I mean, it was, he did a, a great job. But yeah, there's a lot of Eternals in this. Barry Keoghan plays uh, Durig. He's kind of uh, an Eternal who has the power to manipulate people's minds and make them do what he wants, which uh, is a very powerful thing to have, a very, very powerful ability to have. And to know when to use it and when not to is something that's played into with him. Uh, he kind of comes across as the character you probably shouldn't trust. And that's kind of how I looked at it at first. And it was very surprising as to how, you know, we find what people's true colors are in this, what these Eternals' true colors are in this movie. And I, I loved Barry Keoghan's portrayal of Durig because he kind of had that, you know, he's what, like in his late 20s, early 30s, he looks younger. He looks like he's a lot younger, but he kind of has this like punk rocker feel to him. At some points, this very anti-establishment, uh, sticking the middle finger up, I'm going to do what I want, kind of a rebel. He's kind of got that feel to him. And yeah, you because of that, you don't know if he is a character you can trust, especially when he can control people's minds. And I, I really... Uh, this was a character I enjoyed seeing his character maybe not so much develop on the screen because I don't think he has too much character development, but it was kind of a situation where uh, what is this character going to do next? What what's he doing? What's you know, you know the wheels are they turning? Is he got some some other designs going on here? Uh, it was interesting to see what was going to become with this character. Another really great character. It was a character I um you know there's like I said there's a lot of big name actors and we'll get to a couple of them coming up later. But there was also a lot of actors that I didn't know much about and 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 I feel and I'm I regret that because uh, a lot of these actors showed that. You know, they've got some chops, and I really need to seek out some of their other works. And this guy was one of them, uh, Don Lee. Of course, uh, I really hadn't seen and, and knew much about his filmography. Uh, I know he was in the movie uh, Train to Busan, which uh, I haven't watched yet. It's kind of on my watch list. I need to see it, but, but I've never watched it. But he plays... Uh, Gilgamesh, or I believe in the comics, it's he's called the Forgotten One, and then it goes on to talk about uh, you know he's been mistaken for you know characters in hi history like Gilgamesh. 
Samson, Hercules, all these uh, very strong characters because that is his superpower. He's got great strength, probably one of the you know of the Eternals as far as physical strength, superhuman strength, probably one of the if not the strongest. But his character was was really good in that he could play uh, the drama, but he could also play like a like a deadpan humor. That just was uh, was quite enjoyable to watch on the screen. And there was a scene that, that that comes up, you know, after we meet him, he's kind of off with the Thena character played by Angelina Jolie because in 1521, uh, Angelina Jolie, uh, it's it appears that she's suffering from some malady where she's been around so long, the memories that you have for thousands of years just come crushing down on your mind and she has these episodes where she spaces out and just starts attacking everybody and Gilgamesh says that he'll take care of her and they go off by themselves but Gilgamesh uh, just plays this this strong character but he's got a soft heart a good heart he loves Thena even though I don't think he ever says the words and that was one of the things that really I thought was a detriment to the movie because they spent a lot of unnecessary time showing the relationship of Circe and Icarus. And a lot of those scenes drugged the movie out. And a lot of those scenes weren't necessary. The sex scene on the beach was not necessary. You saw more in a few spoken words and a few glances and just the way they... Uh, had Gilgamesh taking care of Thena. You saw more about their relationship and his feelings for her and essentially her feelings for him done in a more succinct way, in a more subtle way that you didn't need a bunch of flashback scenes to show them. And I thought their relationship felt more real than the relationship that Circe and Icarus were supposed to have. And we spent a lot of time going into flashbacks of those two together that just weren't necessary because if they would have treated that relationship like they treated the Gilgamesh and Thena relationship, it would have, to me, been more powerful because I felt the relationship between Gilgamesh and Thena. I felt the love. Even though they never said the words, you could feel it. The looks at each other, the side glances at each other just spoke more than any bit of flashback sequencing that you could do just showing two characters together. You, you felt the chemistry. And if they would have done that with the Icarus and the Circe character, that one, the movie would have been a lot shorter. Uh, but two, I, I would have cared more about their relationship. I really didn't care about their relationship because, you know, at the beginning of the movie, Circe is in a relationship with Dane Whitman uh, played by the adorable Jon Snow, a.k.a. Kit Harrington. Uh, so I, I wanted that relationship. I didn't want the interloper uh, Icarus coming in and wrecking that. So you really didn't care about their relationship. But the relationship between Gilgamesh and Thena was, was one that felt so real. And like I said, they did not spend a lot of time explaining their relationship. They just showed it on the screen. And that, to me, had more weight 
than any flashback they did. And speaking of, we'll get to a couple of the bigger name actors or actresses. Uh, Thena, played by Angelina Jolie, she is kind of like this uh, elite warrior eternal. The Eternals have these weapons. They're very space technology, like these light, like staff and uh, spear and uh, shield come out of her somehow. And, and But she's a, a great warrior on par with the likes of Icarus and Gilgamesh as far as strength goes. A very damaged character. And I thought, you know, I was a little worried that Angelina Jolie was going to come in and, oh, this is just a big name actress who sees dollar signs with a uh, superhero movie and she's going to lower herself to do it just to, to make bank. But I, I thought she did a really good job. I was quite pleased with her work. Uh, I, she didn't take over. You know, she wasn't the center point of this movie. And it wasn't like she was trying to steal scenes or, or anything like that. She was very much a part of this ensemble cast. And and I thought she did a spectacular job. And she brought, you know, that weight of, of being a top quality actress to this role. And the amount of acting that she had to do. I mean, it was... It was impressive, and and I actually did enjoy her in this. And of course, another uh, great uh, actress that uh, I, I love a lot of the stuff she's in. Salma Hayek plays Ajax. She is kind of the the leader, the spiritual leader, the the one that kind of keeps everybody going. She's the one that uh, everybody looks to for guidance because she has a direct link with uh, Arisham. She has a healing ability. Now, this is another role where I believe it was a man in the comics. But there again, I, I didn't mind that they used a, a female for this role because uh, it, it allowed them to kind of play. She was very much a mother figure. And Selma Hayek, uh, she's just got a, you know, she can play feisty and, and she can play a strong female, but she can also play a very compassionate and, and motherly and gentle role. And and that as the healer, as the the leader, she very much uh, played it as that, like the, a mother uh, guiding all of these characters. And I, I thought she did a, a fantastic job. And of course, some other you know notable actors. Uh, Bill Skarsgård played the voice of the Deviant Crow, which was one of the things I had a little bit of a. A problem with they had this storyline and this may be a little bit spoilery so if you don't want to if you don't want to get anything spoiled for you uh fast forward a, a little bit or or wait till you've watched the movie before you finish this whatever you have to do but they had the storyline throughout this movie about these deviants and how they're evolving and we find that this particular deviant crow is feeding off the energy of Eternals and uh, absorbing their power. And every time he does, uh, he becomes more humanoid-like. And there's a scene, a confrontation between him and Angelina Jolie's character, Thena. And of course, she, again, spoiler alert, she kills him. But it just, it, it felt like that whole storyline with the deviant evolving and taking the powers from the Eternals really had no bearing on the story at all. You could have cut that out completely, just had these deviant monsters running around, killing Eternals, 
And it would have had the same effect because as he evolves, he becomes more humanoid. Like he speaks with Thena and, and there is a side story about the Eternals and the Deviants and where they come from. What, what is the true source of their existence and their creation? And they, they speak a little bit to that, but it really didn't have much weight as to how the movie ended or why the bigger threat of the movie was even going on. Uh, it just it felt a little disjointed. And it felt like it really wasn't thought out. You could have cut out a lot of fat with that storyline or that sub-storyline to make this movie a little shorter. Because I think that was a lot of people's problem is that this movie was 2 hours and 25 minutes. It's a long movie. And you had a lot of space in there that could have been could have been shortened. Like I said, the whole Cersei and Icarus love story flashback scenes could have been cut out because you could have done that. You could have given that the treatment that you gave Gilgamesh and Thena and made that story a little more powerful in less time. You could have cut out this bit about trying to explain that these deviants, this one deviant is evolving because he's sucking out the energy of Eternals. Uh, you could have cut that out and shortened up this movie considerably. So I was a little disappointed in that. Another thing I was really disappointed in, at, at one point as we come to the conclusion of this, as we're getting ready for the big climax, uh, there's a showdown between uh, characters and Eternals go their separate ways. And this is no reflection on Camille Nanjiani, but they wrote this character, Kingo, who is a fairly powerful character. As an Eternal has great power within itself, uh, he just decides to go home. And he is not going to be a part of the, the final battle. Just for no other reason than I want to take my ball and go home. It really didn't make any sense at all. You could have had another really cool element to make for an even bigger showdown at the end. They didn't want to make him turn bad because that wrecks things for the future of the character. They didn't want to keep him there because his power with the other Eternals would have overpowered the antagonist that developed. I, I didn't like the, the plot line there. It was weak at best. And, and that's one of the things I was like, ah, that's, that's a little disappointing because you could have thought that out better and done something a little better to take him out of the equation. Okay, that's fine. I get that. But do something better than uh, he's just going to go. He's just going to go home. Uh, I, I found that sloppy and lazy uh, on the writing team's part. But you come down to the, the end of this movie and it, it gets a little confusing because they they talk about the, the Unimind, which is an actual thing from the comic books. Uh, the way they explained it, I, I'm like, this is a little bit, this is out there. I, I wasn't quite sure if I got what they were referring to, how this Unimind thing was going to work. It's essentially uh, connecting all the Eternals' minds into one mind and drawing on that power to defeat the, the big badge thing coming at the end. And it seemed a little, I mean, it seemed pretty nerdy, even for science fiction. But, but the Unimind is an actual thing from the comic books, which I found out later. I'm like, okay, as long as it's, it's canon, 
to this uh, Eternals uh, comics. Okay, I, I get it. I'm fine with it if it's something they actually did. And and it started to make more sense as I thought about it and read about it after the fact. But uh, but they use this Unimind uh, ability to defeat this this big event that is happening. And like I said, I don't want to spoil anything for anyone. But uh, one of the things I, I also found a little corny is uh, Sprite. All she wants to be is human because then she can grow old and be an adult and and love and, and do adult things. And she can't with the body of a 12-year-old. And Circe has a, a little bit of the Unimind magic left to turn her into a real girl. I, I get why they did it. It's going to make the Sprite character more interesting to see how her character, what paths it goes down in the future. But it did come off as a little, little hokey. But not enough to take me out of the movie. Not enough to make me not like the movie. And I, I've got to tip my hat to Chloe Zhao, who was the director of this. I thought she did a, a fantastic job of, of putting this epic story together. So many components, so many characters... Uh, the plots, it's, it's a complicated plot when you think about it. And especially trying to introduce this whole new group of characters. You know, we had so many individual movies before we finally got an Avengers movie where they're a team. And, and even in that movie, they had to come together to become a team by the end of the movie. Uh, you really ha- had to have a lot of setup for that. Whereas this, uh, Chloe Zhao had no setup. She had to make this work from Jump Street. Explain the Celestials. Explain the Eternals. Explain the individual Eternals. Make them a team. Show them as a team right off the bat as this well-oiled machine. And then have them break apart and come back together. And you had multiple storylines with their individual lives. You had the storyline with the Deviants coming back and that whole nonsensical evolution bit, which could have been taken out. You had love affair between uh, Circe and Icarus that you had to explain. You had the the bit with the Eternals and their relationship with the Celestials. You had the big event, this big bad event, this thing that is going to dis- destroy the Earth coming at the end of the movie. You had to explain that as well, there are a lot of moving parts and a lot of moving components to make this movie come together. And and the fact that she did it, I mean, like I said, it could have been shorter. But the fact that she did all this in two hours and 25 minutes is is a great feat. Uh, I would like I said, I would like to see the fat trim just a little bit. You probably could have got this movie closer to two hours uh, if you would have just tightened up some of the storylines and tightened up some of the non-essential storylines. But the fact that she did all this in two hours and 25 minutes was a great feat. And and not to mention all these characters and storylines, but a lot of special effects involved in this, a lot of visual effects involved in this. And they were really good. I mean, the the deviants looked looked great. The powers that they used in the for the Eternals looked great. This alien technology that they used looked it looked real. It looked like something that I couldn't understand, 
but it looked plausible. It looked like, yeah, that's what technology from from outer space might look like. And the fact that she she did all this is is a a great feather in her cap. I think uh, a great accomplishment on her part. Uh, the screenplay could have used a little tightening up, but the story I thought was a good story. It was a story that I enjoyed. There was some downtime, but for the most part, you had a lot of action and you had a lot of interest and a lot of intrigue and a lot of interesting characters played by good actors that kept you engaged throughout the whole movie. So I personally really enjoyed the movie. It had a lot of great themes about family and what's most important. Uh, It had a lot of great themes about where your loyalties lie and putting your faith and putting your loyalty in the right things. Those were some of the big takeaways I got from this. It had a big overall theme about humanity and whether we're worth it because we do some really shitty things to each other on a daily basis. But are we worth it? This movie says yes. I think it says yes because uh, for all our faults, for all the death and destruction that humanity has caused, uh, we've also caused a lot of beautiful things. And there's a lot of love in this world because of humanity. At the end of the day, you have to hope that that love and that beauty can shine a light on the shadow of our darkness. And I, I personally, on a personal note, I, I, I think it can. I think it does. Uh, maybe we don't see it. Maybe the, you know, the the twenty four hour news media doesn't want you to see that. But I, but I think there's a lot of good in this world, and I think this movie kind of speaks to the fact that we are we are worth it. Now, after the after the credits start, uh, we did get a couple a mid credit scene and a post credit scene. The mid credit scene, of course, the end of the movie has some of the Eternals going off in their ship, the Domo to seek out other Eternals because other universes, galaxies, whatever, uh, have their own set of Eternals protecting it, and they're going to find them. Uh, They get a visit from, and it almost looks like a Bifrost rainbowy space bridge from like Thor, but we get this guy, uh, Pip the Troll, voiced by Patton Oswalt, shows up and does this big epic announcement of... Who else but Eros, Thanos' brother, also known as Star Fox, played by none other than Harry Styles. I'm looking forward to seeing what this means for future Eternals movies, uh, future Marvel movies in general, uh, to see what this character is going to bring to the table. Now, we also had a post credit scene, and I didn't really want to talk about Kit Harington's uh, Dane Whitman uh, until right now, until I could talk about it all at once. Because, of course, Dane Whitman is, as we know, the Black Knight from Marvel fame. Of course, the Black Knight is this character. He carries this uh, sword that that is a mystical, magical sword. It also carries a curse. And the Black Knight wields it. Uh, sometimes as a bad guy, sometimes as a good guy. Dane Whitman is, is going to be a, a, a good guy, as I think we're going to see. But it was funny because I, I knew... This character is going to become the Black Knight, and I was super excited to see Kit Harrington because, uh, you know, I loved him as Jon Snow in Game of Thrones. Uh, too bad those dicks, Dan and Dave, I, I think, screwed the storyline up, but we'll never know until George R. R. Martin finishes the books. But 
I, I digress. But at any rate, um, they kept, I kept waiting for like some sort of uh, nod to this character and they kept teasing it because first off, Cersei gives him the ring that has his family crest on it. Um, she claims she got it on eBay. You know, she's been around for 5,000 years. She probably came across it thousands of years ago. Who knows? But I kept waiting for something there. Um, there's one point where Thena, they're inside the Domo of the Eternals, and Thena's got a sword, and one of the characters asks if that's the Ebony Blade, and she says, no, this is Excalibur. The Ebony Blade is the blade that the Black Knight uh, uses the the magical sword with the curse on it. And so that was kind of a nod to it. At the very end of the movie, uh, you see Cersei and Dane Whitman walking through this like park. She says she has no more secrets because she'd been keeping that she's Cersei from him for, for quite some time. And he says, well, uh, speaking of secrets, I've got a family secret of my own. And then something happens. Uh, I won't get into that, but uh, he, he figure he's about to say something about being the Black Knight or or something to that effect. I, they kept teasing it, and I wanted it. But we finally, at the very end of the movie, the post credit scene uh, comes up, and we see Kit Harrington's Dane Whitman inside this, looks like a study. Uh, he's got this big, long crate with his family seal on the top of it, and he opens it up, and there it is, the Ebony Blade. And the Ebony Blade is kind of whispering to him, and uh, he puts his hand near it, and it almost feel, it looks like it has like a liquidy surface to it, a uh, black liquidy surface. And he he's about to grab the sword, and you hear this voice off camera. Uh, I believe he says something, Do you like, do you really want to do that, Mr. Whitman? And I was like, who is that voice? And then I finally realized it's Mahershala Ali, who is going to be playing Blade in uh, a new reboot of the Blade series for Marvel slash Disney. So you you have to imagine uh, Mahershala Ali is, is making this least vocal cameo as the Blade character. And what does that mean? What does that mean for Dane Whitman as the Black Knight and Kit Harrington playing him? Uh, is he going to show up in the new Blade series? Uh, we know that the Black Knight's getting his own movie at some point in the not-too-distant future. Uh, really set up a lot of what-ifs. Uh, not, to, not to borrow a phrase from a, another uh, Disney series, but a lot of what ifs involved with with this character uh how he's going to be involved with blade his own stuff whether they do more eternals movies or not uh just so many question marks left unanswered that i'm excited to find out the answer now are are we going to get more eternals movies uh, one would think uh they really set it up to have a at least a sequel to this uh i know some of the writers the 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 guys who you know came up with the initial story have talked about maybe doing an Eternals prequel for Disney Plus. Uh, there's talk about doing more Eternal stuff. Will they do it though? Because as the last time I looked at the numbers, they spent about two hundred million on this movie for the budget, and right now they're not even breaking even. Uh, it's this is you know we're uh, a couple weeks in. Uh, or, or maybe a, a weekend 
and it's about uh, 189, 190 million dollars. So, uh, you know what happened with Solo when that had a big budget and didn't quite make it, they just put the kibosh on anything else. Uh, no matter the fact that it was a really good movie. Uh, I thought this was a really good movie. It, it could have been shorter. I think maybe the length scared some people away. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what it does when it comes out on video and, and finally hits streaming and things like that to see if maybe it, it pushes over the 200 million mark and, and makes a profit. I hope it does because I really would like to see a at least one sequel to this. And, and then if you don't want to do any more Eternals movies, you can kind of squeak these characters in you know many of these characters became avengers uh the black knight was an avenger uh circe was an avenger at some point i believe uh, i can't remember if any of the other ones were or weren't but uh but you you don't have to do eternals movies to keep the characters in the mcu but i would like to see at least one more eternals movie to kind of round out this story and where they left things off so uh, that's, you know, only time will tell as to whether that comes to fruition. But like I said, all in all, I really enjoyed this movie. I know there's a lot of people that didn't like it. And as I said at the beginning of this, I didn't read or listen to a lot of reviews on purpose because I didn't want to have uh, my opinion of this movie tainted from the jump street. And you know, just going in, looking to enjoy a superhero movie, I enjoyed this. I enjoyed the characters. Uh, I enjoyed the story for the most part. Was it a perfect story? No. Uh, were there some gaffes in continuity and logic and storyline? Of course there were. But, you know, it's a superhero movie. It's science fiction. It's fantasy. Of course, there are going to be some gaffes. And, you know, sometimes you just have to overlook things. Like I said, a little suspension and disbelief never hurt anyone. Uh, but for all the things that were wrong with it, there were so many more things that were enjoyable about this movie. And if you like a good superhero movie, uh, this is definitely one to watch. I wish it was shorter than the two-hour, 25-minute runtime. I think maybe if it had been, it would have been a little more palatable to, to some of the critics and some of the viewers. But, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, I enjoyed it all the same, regardless of the length, regardless of some of the, the questionable storylines and some of the questionable logic. It was still a fun movie to watch and a funny movie to watch because, like I said, uh, Camille Nanjiani was hilarious on this. But I encourage everyone to check it out. Going to the movie theater would be the optimal way because, like I said, this, this movie hasn't even broken even yet. And uh, I, I think they could use all the help they could get because I, for one, would like to see a sequel. But uh, but regardless of, of how you watch it, give it, give it a shot. Go in with an open mind and just looking to enjoy uh, a fun superhero movie and you won't be disappointed if that is your criteria right there if you're looking for high art this isn't the movie but i think uh at the end of the day you're going to enjoy what you see so want to thank everyone for listening 
Check out our Facebook page, Odds Bodkins Curiosity Shop. Always posting the latest trailers and articles from various uh, sites all over the internet, talking about horror, fantasy, and sci-fi. And please leave a review, no matter where you're listening to this, whether it's on uh, our main platform, podcast.com, whether you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, no matter where you're listening, please leave a review. Five stars would be awesome, but any review you leave us uh, is greatly appreciated. And of course, share this with your friends, family, neighbors, uh, that second cousin that you don't really want to come to your house on holidays, but they do anyway, and you're welcome with open arms. Uh, share it with them as well. And please get the word out about Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. And until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha.